Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. Today, my guest is Rebecca Wong, LCSW. She is a relationship therapist in New Paltz, New York. Today, we're going to be exploring how anxiety impacts intimate relationships. But before we get to that, I just want to let the local listeners know that my Woman Warriors Mindfulness group begins September 17th. There are a few spots left. So if you're interested in joining with other women on a mindfulness journey, we would love to have you. So you can find more information on my website, progressioncounseling.com forward slash group therapy. Or you can just shoot me uh, an email through the website, through the contact form on my website and say, hey, I'd like more information about that group. So let's get started with this week's episode with Rebecca Wong. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Rebecca Wong. Thank you so much for being on the podcast Sure. Thanks for having me today, Biz. I, I am, as you said, a licensed clinical social worker in New Paltz, New York. I'm a relationship therapist. I work predominantly with um, adults who are struggling in relationship and help them recover their ways of showing up more fully. I call, it, I call my method or my signature method connectfulness. Mm-hmm. So much of it is about learning how to be mindful of showing up relationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what what got you into this line of work? What was it that inspired you to work with couples and individuals around relationships? What gets any of us into our work? It's typically our own growth, isn't it? Yes. So, <laughs> so I'm just as human as all of my clients. And um, my own work and my own growth is often the inspiration behind what I bring into, into my work. So yeah. I'm I'm learning alongside, maybe a few steps ahead, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm also inspired to learn this work because I also want to live more fully in my relationships. Yeah. To me, really feeling truly intimately connected while well, with self and with others is such an important part of feeling safe and secure in the world that, I mean, to me, it just seems like pretty powerful work that you're doing. Yeah. I love this work. Mm. So how do you see anxiety impacting intimacy, impacting relationships? And if, you know, there's something specific about women in that picture, talk to me about that. I'd love to. You know, there's, there's a few different pieces that I think are all important to talk about here. And on your show, you may have talked about a lot of these in and blown them up in different ways. And I think mm-hmm. that is a really important part of the conversation. But just for the nature of this show, um, I'd love just to say that I think anxiety is often about fear of the future. Mm, yeah. And often 
those fears may or may not really be grounded in reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking specifically about women, I think it's also important to talk about our biology. For many, especially women, especially mothers, anxiety or those fears can be survivalistic. You know, back in, in the cave woman days, mm-hmm. we had really different needs in order to attach to and stay connected with and protect our families than we do today. But our minds, our brains haven't necessarily caught up with those needs. Yeah. And so sometimes that's where anxiety comes from, especially in the postpartum period. I see a lot more postpartum anxiety than I do postpartum depression. Mm, interesting. So fears about protecting the child, being the right kind of mom. Yeah, that, that overwhelm that just comes in. And, you know, another piece that I often see with an anxiety is like a, a shame anxiety, mm. it, which often attacks one's self-esteem. And so, you know, I, I bring this back relationally speaking to what is self-esteem? Well, there's, there's two different kinds of self-esteem. There's one kind of self-esteem that is very much about, I see myself as having inherent worth. I'm a good person. And we all are. We're all born into this world having inherent worth. We're all same as. Yeah. And then there's this other form of self-esteem, which is based in how others perceive us, what things we can accomplish or how good we can do things. It's based in our performance or the things that we acquire, the things we have. I have a great car. I have a great house. I have this degree. Mm -hmm. So if we're putting our esteem in those other things, then it's really based in how we are comparing ourselves to others, right? Am I a good enough mother? This other mother is doing things better than me. Am I a good enough wife? This other wife is. And so we get stuck in those things and we start ruminating on them and we're putting our self-esteem into those comparisons mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm a good enough person even with all of my flaws I can be imperfect and I can still be good enough yeah and I might have not have those things that those people have but I am still who I am and good enough and I have inherent worth and so if someone's coming to you with anxiety and and you know and it's causing you know a woman comes to you and the, her anxiety is impacting the relationship how do you see that unfolding and you know what are they typically coming to you for if right. you know they're struggling well when that's happening there's there's a few different things happening one is that they're probably having having a hard time with reality with what's actually happening here and now. So mm-hmm. we do some work around that. And another piece is around boundaries. Typically speaking, we, we also have two different kinds of boundaries. We have a containing boundary and we have a protecting boundary. So if someone's going to hurt me, I'm going to put up my wall and protect myself. If I'm feeling really explosive and rageful or anxious or something like that, and I want to protect the people I'm with... I'm going to put up my containing boundary to hold those parts of me in so that I don't hurt the people I'm with relationally. So there's these two different sides of our boundaries. And oftentimes when people are really anxious and they're spilling over and they're overwhelming in some ways the people they're with, the part of the boundary that they don't maybe have is the containing part. So we do some work around that. Yeah, so someone who maybe can't contain and it's overflowing, they're... I'm guessing here, more reactive in the relationships, less responding. 
There, there can be um, more reactivity. There can be a more of a need to control some manipulation. It can show up in a lot of different ways, depending on the individual. Mm-hmm. How about the other side of the coin, where someone who you know is fearful and wanting to protect themselves, and so mm-hmm. that boundary around the wall going up, I would imagine that can be really impactful too in a relationship yeah. if it feels like you can't connect with your partner because they're so protective, that would be really difficult. Right. You need, you need, you need to be able to take down, like, imagine that a healthy relationship looks like two people stand, like almost draw yourself two stick figures, right? Mm -hmm. In between those two stick figures, draw a full wall all the way in between them. You can't get through that wall. There's no intimacy there. If you take that wall all the way down, then you know, anything I say can go to you. Anything you say can go to me. That can be really vulnerable, lots of intimacy. But if we're not feeling totally safe, that might be too much. And I might, if I don't have good self-esteem and I can't determine what it is you're saying that is actually about me and what it is you're saying that's actually about you, then, then that might be too much for me. So if you draw a half wall, now I have both the vulnerability, the ability to be affected by you, but also the protection. And that's more what we're looking for in health. Yeah. So you can, yes, you can safeguard yourself and protect yourself and yet be open to being vulnerable, intimate with your partner. Yes. And also containing the parts of you that might be overwhelming to your partner from hurting them. So you're both protecting yourself and protecting your partner. Wow. I love the imagery. I love being able to picture that full wall of someone being completely disconnected, which I would imagine can happen around someone who has had relational trauma or some traumatic experience in their their life where the world doesn't feel really safe. The truth of it is that most of us have had relational trauma. Yeah. You are right about that. It it can show up in a lot of different ways. If we look straight at the ACEs study, the adverse effects of childhood from the CDC, that shows that two-thirds of adults have experienced relational trauma. That study may or may not include much, even just about neglect or parents just not being available. And that also is experienced as relational trauma. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, almost more so and harder to tease apart yeah. for the for the client or for the individual. Very much so. Yeah. And so what does it look like? So, you know, creating that safety within a relationship for both partners, you know, to protect themselves as well as to protect each other, you know, from their own stuff. Like, what does that look like? How do you get there? What, what, what tools are you using to get people mm-hmm. building those half walls? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I, I often teach clients something that we call a feedback loop, mm. which is a way of talking and a way of listening. And so it starts with first just getting into a grounded, uh, centered place where you're speaking from a place of connection. You know, what I, what I want to achieve here is, and this is what you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm centered, I'm grounded. I feel my inherent worth, I feel your inherent worth, as opposed to starting from a place of feeling contemptuous. Yeah. Right? That alone is going to set everything up differently. (laughs) So we start talking to each other from that centered place. And the next step is probably to ask for some form of consent. Is it okay that I talk to you about this right now? Do you have have some time to sit down with me? Mm. And 
hearing your partner's answer there. If they say, no, I, now's not a good time, that's the first place we have to practice containment. Mm, yeah. Right? Because if we don't, we're already now overwhelming them mm-hmm. and not listening to their boundary. And that's offensive. So we want to first just listen to that answer. And then if they give us the permission, if they say, yeah, now's a great time, let's sit down and have this conversation. Then we want to start with, this is what I experienced. And we want to stay in the present. We don't want to go back to all the times that they always or never do whatever it is. Hmm. Because that, again, is going to be offensive. We want to stay in the present moment and say, you know, this morning, all those dishes that were left in the sink, staying in the, in the more here and now, in the today. Yeah. And we talk about what happened. And then we start with, this is an important piece of this. We start with, you know, what I made up about it or what it reminds me about or the story in my head about that is that when, when you just leave all those dishes in the sink and you don't ever wash them, you think that I'm your maid, you think that I'm here too. And we, we then tell the story, but we tell it from this perspective of what I made up about that is. Mm. And then we move into, and this is how it makes me feel. And this is where we want to say something. We're, we're going to keep this part brief. We're going to share an emotion. There's basically eight basic emotions. Mm-hmm. Anger, fear, joy, passion, shame, pain, love, and guilt. Okay. And so we want to stay centered somewhere in there. And we want to say, you know, it, it made me feel a lot, of, a lot of fear that I'm doing all of this on my own, that I'm carrying all this weight. And that made me really angry. Mm. And... From there, it's your partner's job now to become reflective hmm. and let them know what they heard you say. You know, I, I heard you talk about how fearful and angry you are, that it feels like you're carrying all of this on your own, and that you make up the story that I don't care when I leave the dishes in the sink. So that's just purely reflective. They're letting you know what they heard you say. Mm-hmm. But boy, so powerful to be heard. <laughs> to be heard, to, to have that affirmation like, okay, wait, you, you heard what I said. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm already disarmed. Yeah. And then the next point is that your partner is going to own a kernel of the truth in there, a kernel or, or a lot. You know, I, I did leave the dishes in the sink and I, I do that a lot. Mm. Yeah. So, so now you're, you're disarmed a little bit more. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you do that. And then the next piece your partner is going to say is, and this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm, I'm really going to work on being mindful of making sure that I'm attending to the dishes, or at least I'm letting you know that I will later. And that's called the feedback loop. That's how you guys get through mm. cycles. And you start reworking the relationship. And you're, you're doing a lot of containing work in there, of boundary work in there, of self-esteem in there. There's, there's a lot of different piece of, of speaking your truth, of practicing moderation, of talking about your wants and needs. You're doing all of that in that feedback loop. Mm. Yeah. What I'm hearing too is just effective communication where one person speaks, the other one reflects back what's said and hears them and responds. Like so, so important. It's so important. And how many of us are actually taught that in our childhoods and know how to go into relationships doing that? Well, I think about all the times where I have this story going in my head about, well, I'm the only one that takes out the trash or whatever it might be. Like, 
and and nobody else cares and I'm the only one's picking up the shoes from the floor or whatever it is. And and where the where do those stories come from? Oftentimes we have a relational lens, a way that we learn how to see the world that mm-hmm. often might start in childhood like nobody cares. And we go through the rest of our life, the rest of our relationships looking for evidence to prove that true. Mhm. So I'm going to go through the world. If my, if my worldview is that nobody cares, I'm going to go through the world looking for evidence that nobody cares. And when you leave the dishes in the sink, that reinforces that belief for me. Mm-hmm. Well, and doing parts work of my own, but also working with clients around parts, that part that says nobody cares is very deeply ingrained and sometimes just feels like who we are when that part shows up like nobody does care i know this to be true and this is where i'm approaching the world from like this just feels like me instead of this is the story i made up around this because of this part of mine that was created when i felt like nobody cared in childhood and and at that point in my life i was six years old or I was 12 years old and the way I learned how to react to it and adapt to it was. Mm -hmm. And so this all becomes part of relational work. Yeah. Is being able to look at those parts of ourselves and then learn how to reparent them because we're always looking for somebody to do it for us. But to really show up relationally, we have to learn how to do it for ourselves so that we can learn that containment piece. That's what should have happened. It is what should have happened. (laughs) It is. But we're not going to probably get those needs met by our parents and our adulthood. Right. Or Or our our partners. (laughs) Right. Right. That this is work that we have to do now to grow and heal. and And, And this is the work of living relationally, to really show up in relationship with our partners. Um. And with ourselves, mm-hmm. that this is the work. This is what it comes back to. Yeah. Well, and so how often are your clients, the couples, also doing individual work? Because I would imagine, too, sometimes it's important to better understand yourself in order to be in that relationship. Yeah. I practice a form of couples therapy called relational life therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, developed by Terry Real and based on a lot of the work of Pia Melody. And in RLT, in Relational Life Therapy, we do a lot of individual work in the presence of the partner. Mm-hmm. So that means that oftentimes we'll be doing the deep experiential work and the partner will be in the room also observing it. Wow. Yeah. That sounds really intense. <laughs> <laughs> It, it can be intense. It can also be incredibly healing because now you both are starting to understand where these patterns come from. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, that's important too, because your partner's only seeing you present day, whoever they, you know, however they see you, not maybe understanding that there are these other levels, there are these other parts that show up when triggered and when feeling vulnerable. Right. And, and we need to understand where that reactivity comes from. We often talk in RLT about kind of, we simplify it to basically three versions of yourself. You have your wounded child, mm-hmm. which is a pretty young version of yourself, probably under the age of five or seven. Mm-hmm. And then you have an adaptive child, which is more a preteen or teenager version of yourself that really learned how to adapt to the world around you and is probably pretty reactionary. There's usually three versions of that self. There's a lost self, there's a hero self, and there's a scapegoated 
self in regards to the adaptive child. Mm -hmm. And then we have our functional adult, which is you living in your best form. And the question becomes relationally, which part of you is relating with your partner? Is it your wounded child self? Is it your adaptive child self? Or is it your functional adult? We want to get your functional adult online, but that's not often who's meeting when you guys are in conflict. Mm. So how do we work on bringing, and and that's a piece of relational mindfulness in regards to learning how to bring that functional adult back online. Well, and that, I mean, it's such powerful work, really recognizing, I think too, so affirming that, you know, we all have this, you know, best self or adaptive or adult self or, you know, however you want it, you know, truly compassionate, most caring self. Like we all have that. Yes. It's there. It's just sometimes we're not recognizing it or we don't know how to access it. And when we're, when we're falling into our anxiety or our shame spirals, that is often not our most functional self. And that is a good indication that we need to do some work with ourselves. We need some reparenting. That's a good invitation for a reparenting moment. Mm -hmm. Who is this right here? Which part of me is this? What does it need? So oftentimes, you know, there's, there's three things we talk about in good parenting. And that is we need um, guidance or affirmations. So, you know, this, this is what's happening right now. I see this is what's happening right now. We need nurturing. Yeah. And we need limits. All those. <laughs> All those. And so that's essentially the work of reparenting yourself as well. Yeah. It's not just what we needed in childhood. It's also what we need here and now. So that's the healing work. And that's how you bring your most functional adult back online. That's what you do for yourself in the moment. But the limits. The limits. They're so important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to let you hurt somebody else. I'm not going to let you go ahead and just overwhelm them with these things that you say you need. We need to practice moderation here. Yeah. We need to learn how to control ourselves. Yeah. I think about this. In ter- I have two young girls, right? And mm-hmm. they get mad at each other all the time. They're young girls. They're learning how to live in the world. They're sisters. And what do sisters do? They, they totally offend each other, right? Because that's what they do. And what's my job as a parent? To walk into the room and say, I'm not going to let you hurt your sister. I care about both of you. You're both good humans. I'm not going to let you hurt each other. And so that's the kind of limit setting that sometimes we need to do for ourselves too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, or and two, hurting ourselves, right? <laughs> like through whatever addictions or compulsive behaviors or, or just repeating patterns where we set ourselves up to be hurt again and again too. Yes. Yes. For individual therapy, typically I see a longer term experience like this can last, I don't know, years for some people. With couples, it seems a much more focused um, intense, but sort of this is how we get from here to here. Am I interpreting that right? It varies depending on the couple, how much relational healing there is for them to do and how deeply they want to take that work. Mm. Some couples come in for intensive work. I'll work with them for a weekend and then maybe we'll check up again Mm -hmm. um, online. Other couples will do some, some deep work for a minimum of probably three months, but They might either stay on or they might not. And then I have other couples who work with me for years. Mm. So it really depends on how deeply they want to do the work and how they're doing the work. You know, if they're really going through and and having those individual experiences in the presence of their partner and they're getting a lot out of them, they may stick with that work a little longer. Mm. 
And then there are other couples who come in just wanting some, give us, give us some new tools, teach us how to relate to each other. And we do more education in those, in those sessions. They're, they're out a little quicker, but they often tend to come back for more work a little later on. Yeah. As different things come up and, yes. or the same things come up and in different ways. Mm-hmm. If you were to uh, offer a tip to the couples out there that, you know, maybe considering couples therapy, um, what might that be? Be ready to grow because that's what this work is going to ask of you. It's going to be less about pointing your fingers and blaming your partners. And it's going to be more about asking you to grow up. Yeah. A colleague and I, uh, a colleague of mine often says that a lot of this work, a lot of this couple's work, it's, a, it's about what she calls AFGOs, another fucking growth opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Because <laughs> there are so many out there. <laughs> so many of them. And they happen like repeatedly every day. I have them all the time with my husband. And it's about how do I choose to show up to this AFGO? Just highlighting that the problems come from both sides. Like there isn't a problem child within the relationship that both partners need to grow to move together instead yeah. of blaming. And yeah. And, and our relational growth is not going to be dependent upon one of us doing the work. It's going to mean that both of us need to do the work. And so if I am controlling the thing that I can control, which is me doing the work and not putting my energy into trying to control you, you're probably more likely to show up and do the work too. So true. So I know you mentioned Terry Real and mm-hmm. Pia Melody, um, which those links I will include in the show notes. Are there other resources that you feel like would be important for the listeners to be aware of? I think those are great resources to start with. They cover so much ground. Awesome. All right. Well, I will include those. And then is there anything upcoming projects, things that are happening in your practice that you would like the listeners to know about? This probably will air in late August. I often have a lot of events. I know that there's a couples retreat that I'm planning for 2019. It's pretty far out there. But the main thing that I have going on right now is that I am offering individual private intensive couples retreats at an amazing spot in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're all encompassing. They offer accommodations, meals, food, lodging, massages, all these different kinds of body work and intensive um, time working with me as well. And those are, they're pretty much always ongoing and couples would just learn about them over on my website, which is connectfulness.com. Mm-hmm. And we would plan around, around both of our schedules. It would only be that one couple and myself. Nice. That sounds pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I love this work. Well, you can tell just by how you talk about it. So um, I appreciate so much you're taking the time to talk to us today and to be here on the Woman Warriors podcast. Thank you for having me, Biz. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rebecca on relationships and how anxiety can impact intimacy. So my takeaway was that really for partners to work through struggles with anxiety and intimacy, it takes both parts. It takes both people being there and working through that. And yes, the individual work is really important too, but 
it's called a relationship for a reason because you're both in it and working on it. I just wanted to reiterate that the mindfulness groups for women will be starting September 17th here in Annapolis. So if you're interested in joining in a group with other women to explore mindfulness and bring more mindfulness into your daily life, feel free to reach out to me through my website, progressioncounseling.com. Hit the contact button and shoot me an email. I hope to hear from you and I hope you have a wonderful week. Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com.